everyone. It's uh, definitely a great pleasure to serve with the youth today and to share about the messages that God has spoken in our lives. And so if you realize that today's sermon title is a little different from usual, it's actually called Men Saw God Walked on Water. What happened to him next will shock you. So for those who kind of know about me, um, you know that I really like to go on social media. So I use all sorts of different platforms. So I have Facebook, I go on Instagram, I use Snapchat, and especially there's this one website that I like to This thing's not working. Oh, okay. Now it's real. So this is uh, a website called Reddit, and it's kind of like a forum where you go online and there are different subtopics that you can choose. So anywhere from news to gaming to the culture of today to politics to finance, like anything you can think of, they will have a platform for you to share news and ideas about. And so one of these uh, subtopics, which they call subreddit, that I subscribe to is pretty interesting. It's called Not the Onion. So for those who don't know, the Onion are sat satirical news. So they're mockery news about fake news items that sounds kind of like news, but they're really ridiculous. But this subreddit, they actually find real news that sounds so ridiculous, you can't believe it's real. So for example, one of the topics was teen hacks into North Korean Facebook using the password password. Or parents sold 18 day old daughter to buy an iPhone, had no idea it was illegal. And man illegally changed his name to above the none of the so that it appeared at the bottom of a ballot for any election. So it must sound really ridiculous, right? But these are actually real news. And as I keep digging further, I realized the idea of selfie was even more crazy. So met a woman caught when she posts stolen dress selfies on Instagram. Or tourists kill swan by dragging it to take selfies. And then here's a really ridiculous one. Selfie in front of running train costs three college goers their life. And selfie addicts tried to kill himself when he couldn't take the perfect picture. It must sound really ridiculous, but when you think about it, people would go to the extremes in order to take the perfect picture of themselves or just to have that best glimpse of themselves before other people. And so as we think about it today, the idea of narcissism is really prevalent to uh, the millennial, especially the millennial culture. And so for those who don't know, the idea of narcissism is when there is something about our inner being where it becomes the very thing that needs to be served, that needs to be the first thing to take care of in our lives. And so as we tackle this problem as a community of faith, we would need to console, console spirit uh, from the scriptures in order 
to find answers as to what God says about how we can combat narcissism. And so when I looked in the Gospels, I realized the passage that really stood out in dealing with this problem can be found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. So in verse 23, uh, 22, it says that immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he ran up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went up to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw them walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on water. Come, he said. Then Peter got got down out on the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and began to sink, and cried out, Lord, Save me. Immediately Jesus reached out of his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were there in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So as, uh, before we continue to Look deeper into the passage. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for such a beautiful day to worship you, to be in community, and to really come together to seek your wisdom, to seek your love, and to seek your grace, Lord. So as we continue to tackle the issue of narcissism in our culture, Lord, may you shine your light in us, Lord. May you grant us new eyes to see, new ears to hear, so that we become a community that is not enslaved by the culture of this world, but the one who transforms, the one who brings new light to this culture. Lord, We thank you, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, when we hear, always hear the, this concept of Jesus and his disciples, we always have this idea that there's Jesus, who is this 30-something-year-old guy, kind of like how old I am right now. And then you have these disciples, and they always have this long beard and very scruffy-looking. And, and so we have this natural tendency to feel like, oh, these guys are probably like middle-aged men or men who are in their late 30s trying to follow this. Supposedly, they, they hurt and they kind of believe as a Messiah. But if you study closer in the Jewish culture and to look at how the whole concept of mentorship and discipleship is like, they're actually not that old. These followers, especially the 12 disciples, historians are guessing that they're anywhere around age of 16 to 23. So maybe they actually look kind of like more, it's more like manga pictures where they look much younger, like a kitty face and like that. So, can you imagine, like, 
having these disciples, so they're around the age of these Gideon kids. So imagine, like, there's Jesus, kind of like my age, and then you have, like, Ernest or Huey or, or Theo or, or, or even, like, Chris following, following someone as old as I am around. And then usually people believe that Peter, because he's the oldest, that's why he is usually the prime example and the leader of these disciples. So they're guessing that Peter is around the age of maybe 21, 22. So kind of like imagine Ben is like Peter's age. And he's like the guy, right? So, so to think about it, Jesus is really the first youth minister in the church. He's ministering to all these youths here. And, and so why do these teenagers decide to follow Jesus? So in order to do that, we need to first understand the culture of the day. For these men, as you know, some of them are fishermen. Some of them are just doing manual labor. And you, you might think that these guys are probably not really educated and they might even be illiterate. But as you're looking at the Jewish culture, men of their age went through a lot of schooling. They had to memorize the Jewish scriptures, the Torah, and then they actually went through a lot of mentoring from the different rabbis. And so usually at around the age of 13, they go through one of these rite of passage and almost like an exam to see how good they are with understanding the Jewish scriptures. And so if they did well, then they get on to the next program. It's almost like going to university. Then they take the next level of education. And when they hit around 15 to 16 years old, then there's another exam kind of ceremony where they take. And if they do well, and if one of the rabbis who are famous, they see that these guys have potential, then they will take them under his wing and become his protege. And that's when they get trained to be the next generation of rabbis. So if they don't make the cut, then chances are they go back to whatever the father was doing uh, for a living. So maybe they go fishing, or they're carpenters, or they do something different. And so for someone like Peter, maybe he did not take the cut, make the cut to be a rabbi, so he got sent back home to be a fisherman. And so, imagine you're someone like that. You're just fishing one day, and then some guy who seems really intelligible, like a rabbi, and you know that he's somehow doing some amazing things, walks up to you and says, come, follow me. Your first reaction would be like, oh, of course I'm going to take that offer. I want to do something great with my life. Like, being a fisherman, like, that's like nobody's job, right? And so, for them, it's like a ticket out of being just an important and really mundane job to do something great. And to know that this guy is supposedly the Messiah. So if I follow this guy, I'll be famous. I'll do amazing things. And I'll be known forever as that right-hand man for the Messiah who will bring the kingdom back to Israel. And so for them, maybe they, I'm sure they do have faith in Jesus. But at the same time, they all have some sort of ulterior motive. They want to be known. They want to be important. They want to be someone amazing in their lives. And so, as we look at the passage today, it was talking about Jesus walking on water. 
And then these disciples who are fishermen, at first they're really afraid. They're really fearful because in Jewish cultural understanding, the sea is kind of like a symbol of uncertainty and, and is always, almost always associated with death. To have someone walking on water is almost like this is probably a ghost or some sort of spirit walking. It's not a man because man would die. Who, who would walk on water, right? And so even fishermen like Peter, who have been always been out at sea fishing, they're afraid of the sea because no one can conquer the sea unless if they're God. And so when they see and they realize that, oh, it's not some evil spirit, it's actually Jesus, they were assured, and at the same time, they want to be like Jesus. They want to be able to walk on water and be amazing and to be known as the, the man who can do miracles just like Jesus. And so Peter, who is always the one want, wanting to be the one who could be first recognized by his peers, the first to show that he has great faith, went straight up and asked Jesus, let me walk on water and come to you, Lord. And so Jesus naturally, I don't know if Jesus, Jesus ever hesitated, but it seems like he didn't. He just go, come, go ahead, follow me, come towards me. And so Peter, being so anxious to show that he is a faithful disciple, took up the offer. And so he started walking on water, right? And for Jewish culture, this is something that is, just as today, a supernatural occurrence, right? I, I actually did an experiment. I went to a pool, and I was trying, it was like, can men really walk on water? So I went to a pool and tried and walk on water. And chances are, as you know, it didn't work. I fell straight into the pool, and that was the end of that story. But, but the fact is, then all the attention shifted from everyone looking at Jesus to everyone looking at Peter. Because this is something that no one has ever imagined, that man walking on water. This is amazing, right? So, so then, as Peter walks on water, his, you realize that his attention is slowly shifting. At first, he was looking at Jesus walking on water. Then, it's almost implied, he starts thinking about those around him. Start thinking about himself. That, oh, look at me, I can walk on water. Come, like, take a picture of me, I'm walking on water. I'm this amazing man. I can do this amazing thing. And so the more he was thinking about this, the more he forgot about who gave him that power and why he gave Peter the power. And so when the wind started blowing onto him, and he recognized He's the one walking on water. He got really afraid, and he starts drowning, right? And so, his natural response was, Lord, save me, I'm drowning. What am I going to do? And as I was thinking about the story, it really resonated with my life, about how it's like for myself to be in ministry. And as I once talked to my mentor in my life, he, he actually confronted me, and he said that, Brian, you know what? As I'm working with you over these years, I realize you have a social disorder. And I was like, 
sure, what is it? Like, why would I have social disorder? And then he said that, Brian, I think you have something that I would call a Superman complex. I'm like, oh, that's sweet. Like, that doesn't sound like a bad thing, Superman complex. Like, I have amazing powers or something. Like, I, I do amazing things. And, but then he kept going on explaining what it is. So he told me that you're not Superman, but you think you're Superman. So you try to do these things, and in the same time, you try to do everything to save other people. And you do everything so that others will look up to you and say, oh, I need Brian. Whenever something happens, I'm going to go and find Brian, and Brian will solve the problem for me. Even when it means going out of his way and help me, I would go find Brian, because Brian would do it for me. And as he was sharing with this, this story, or he's sharing this disorder with me, I realized that it's kind of like an analogy where I like to be the superhero, and I like to be looked at as almost like Batman, like the, the idea that he is a superhero that we need but we don't deserve. And I like to be feeling that way, that people need me, and maybe sometimes they don't deserve me, but they need me. And so it feels good whenever they come up and like, Brian, help me with this. Brian, do this for me. Brian, serve in this ministry. I need people. But in reality, when we look at Peter and his encounter with Jesus, it's almost like they're telling me that, no, you're supposed to be Robin. You're the sidekick for Jesus. But like, look at that logo. I don't like that. Like, it looks so cheesy. Like, the R? Like, I'd rather be, be known as Batman. Like, that's so much cooler. Like, I get a cool cape and all black and all that, but like, no one cares about Robin. Like, the sidekick? Like, who cares? But in reality, the truth is, we always like to be Batman. We like to be the one, people giving us all the praise and adoration or even admiring when we're up here or even something, something like speaking. And chances are, sometimes we get really inflated and we forget that it is a privilege. It is not a right that we can serve. And, and sometimes we forget that everything we're doing is for God and not for our own. It's not about inflating ourselves or the need to feel good or the need to feel important, but that we are doing this because God called us to put his attention back at him. And when I think more about this story, about trying to be a superhero, it reminds me about the time when I, and I, I do dishes all the time. When I was working in the restaurant, I do dishes. When I go on retreat, I do dishes. When I go to lock-ins, I do dishes. It's just almost like a job description of my, of my role as an intern. So I do a lot of dishes, and one thing I realize is that sometimes I do it after someone else did the dishes, and so I pick up the sponge and I just start scrubbing. And I was like, okay, take a pot that's like not too dirty and there's no grease, so I keep rubbing. And why is it so oily all of a sudden? Keep rubbing, it gets even more oily. I'm like, this is weird. Like, there's no oil in the pot. Why is it so oily? Then as I took the sponge out and start squeezing some water out, I realized that there's grease all over that sponge. The last person that did it didn't clean the sponge, so it's so nasty. Like, you all know that feeling when you try to do dishes and your hands get oily too, you keep trying to do dishes and 
you're actually not doing any good. You end up making the pot even worse than it was when you first started. And it's kind of like our narcissism. We have this feeling that, oh, we're going to do good. We're going to wash dishes. We're going to do something great. But when we do it for our own sake, we're not doing it for God. It's about the inner darkest feeling of wanting to be needed and important. We're actually doing a mess instead of doing good. Like we try to scrub, 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 but we're actually making a big mess that God has to eventually clean up himself when the attention is about us and not God. But the passage here talked about something that is really crucial. Whenever we look at the story of Peter walking on water, our focus is all, almost always on the passage of Jesus rebuking Peter, saying, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And our natural tendency is shifted towards, oh, when he says little faith, is it, I'm guessing it's about our little faith to walk on water. Like, we can definitely walk on water if we have faith in Jesus. But as you dig deeper into the context of the passage, the key message that Matthew is trying to tell us is not about us having little faith to walk on water, but the fact that we have little faith that Jesus is there to rescue us, to take us out whenever we drown. We are not perfect people, as we know, and we will drown eventually. We always end up having this natural tendency to be self-centered, to think about our interests, to think about our own needs. But when we look deeper about this idea of little faith, you realize that throughout the whole Gospel of Matthew, the word little faith is never about the faith in performing, the faith in doing great things. Whenever Jesus says, you of little faith, whether it may be in this passage or in Matthew 8 about calming the storm or even Matthew 6 on talking about the anxiety we have. It's always about our faith in trusting God as the provider, in trusting God as the rescuer, God as the one who will save us and deliver us. It's about God as the provider and rescuer that saves us. And the key message, then, is not about Jesus' words, but Jesus' action. When we look at the same passage in the translation in the message, Eugene Peterson translates it really well. But when he looked down at the waves churning beneath his feet, Peter lost his nerve and started to sink. He cried, Master, save me. Jesus didn't hesitate. Jesus didn't hesitate. He reached down and grabbed his hand. Then he said, Faint heart, what got into you? When Jesus asked Peter to come and walk on water, Peter hesitated. But when Peter was drowning, Jesus did not hesitate a single bit. He went straight for Peter and pulled him up. 
he grabbed Peter by his hand and rescued him from the drowning waters. Whereas we are an ungrateful servant trying to do great things, sometimes not for God, but for our own needs, Jesus is the faithful Savior. Regardless of how bad or how miserably we fail, He will always be there to pull us up from our narcissism, from our, from our disrespect, from our self-centeredness, and pull us out from the depth of drowning. And so the main purpose of faith is not really about walking on water, but it's about taking Jesus' hand whenever we even recognize a single bit that we are drowning, we're dying, when we put our focus on ourselves and not God. And sometimes we might think that we're not narcissists, we're not the ones who are always about taking selfies, the ones who are always have to tell people, look at me, I'm so good, or I'm so great, or I'm like so amazing. Or, or that we always need the attention from people. But narcissism goes much deeper in our veins. And we, in reality, we all are looking in ways of fulfilling our narcissism in our lives. Whether it may be the need to feel that we are making a difference in our lives, that we're doing something good, or the need to feel that we are important, the fact that we are amazing at doing things so that people would come to me. And here, I think, is where Eugene Peterson, again, is really wise in teasing out the issue of narcissism in ministry. And uh, not exactly his quote, but he said that the biggest sin of ministry or serving in the church is when you actually do it for the sake of fulfilling that need to feel important. That you do it so that you feel like you're, you're needed by other people. You're doing it to, to bring the attention into the fact that you're the one that can help them better than God himself. And maybe sometimes these qualities are good. You do it in a good intention. You want to help them. You want to scrub the pot and make it clean and you be participating and doing good. But if our sponge is greasy, there are uncleanliness in, in the way we approach it. We're just going to get in the way of God. And that's where sin really strikes us. And the irony in the millennial generation is that we project our narcissism on our faith. We end up devouring our faith to talk about and think about and feel about the need to satisfy ourselves rather than it's about God. We have become a society where God is the servant and we are the kings. We need to be served by God. We need to come here expect that God will do something and grow me into something amazing that we come here and we need to feel like worship means something. We can get something out of worship. That we have to go to groups and we pick our own friends. We do things that 
that we think are fulfilling when we go to fellowship. And in verse 33, the disciples realize that when this happens, they're reminded that Jesus is not just the Son of Man serving other humanity, but he is also the Son of God. He is God, the very self. And it's kind of like going to one of those noodles restaurants, for example, Beer Garden, where we go and we like choices. Don't get me wrong. I like choice. I like to have the options. And so you go and you have this menu where you can pick whatever you want. And sometimes it seems like we do the same thing at church. We pick and choose. We go and be like, oh, I'll go to this church because the worship is amazing and I get great sermon. But then there's small group stuff, so I go to this other community and, hmm, like, they have great people and they have good Bible study, so it feels good. Or even, like, oh, the pastors have good counseling in this church, so I will go to this program, but then I won't really participate as a community. But is this healthy? And the inconvenient truth is that this is not the life of a disciple. This it's not the life of a disciple. We end up walking on water to fulfill our needs rather than for what God needs in the community, in the city, or even in the world. And so I feel that the way to approach it is kind of like what uh, one of the songs that we usually sing in worship. And in the bridge, I think it summarizes the mindset that we have, uh, we should have really, really greatly. And so in, in the song, in the bridge of this song, it says that, break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause as I walk from earth into eternity. So I've been ranting here for half an hour talking about don't, don't go walk in water thinking about yourself, but does that mean we shouldn't be walking in water at all? We shouldn't be doing things for God? Of course not. Like, there are times where we need to serve and we need to participate and do great things. But then what do we do? If we go into this dilemma, we always do think about ourselves. We think about satisfying our own needs rather than God's needs. And like, what are we supposed to do? And I think the best way to combat it is um, can be summarized from some, um, some really wise words I learned um, last summer when I got to go to this camp and this friend of mine shared some wisdom into my life. And I think it's also really relevant here. And so how it goes was there's a guy that was walking in the middle and then he goes, Just do it! Don't let your dreams be dreams! Yesterday, you said tomorrow... Just do it! And I see people are facepalming and they know how funny it was. And It sounds like a joke, right? Like, this guy sounds like he's an idiot walking up. But if you know the backstory, this is a viral video in YouTube that was done by an actor, Shia LaBeouf. And so, it sounds like he totally just improvised it and then he was just doing something ridiculous. But in reality... He was doing it for an art school in London called Central St. Martin's. 
and she was asked to go and act out these different scripts that the student wrote for their, uh, one of the grad projects about introductions. And so she took up the offer, went to London, did it completely free for them. And then the reason why it was a green screen was that, as you know, for those who are in, uh, in filming, when you have green screen, you can put anything as a background. You can edit it so that you can put on like other videos, you can put on other things. And so as a result, this video got edited into all sorts of really weird stuff where like talk about motivation speech Im imitating TED Talks or like scenes in Star Wars or anything, right? And so what I'm trying to get at is that when he did this, he took up the offer. He was not doing it for his own sake. He's not looking for fame. He's not looking for money. Uh, for those who know this actor, like, he's do all sorts of really peculiar things, but a lot of times he doesn't do it for money. He do it as a way to bless other people or to do good. And so, what is the grief in our lives? What is the grief in our lives? Griefs tend to stick, and they stick really well in things especially in other human beings. And they're more infectious than we thought, that when we shake hands with others, when we're greasy, they also get the grease, and it's kind of nasty, right? So, as we go on in our lives and walk on water in the name of Jesus, we can either draw on what we do for the sake of ourselves, do it for our own intentions, do it for our own needs, or we can have griefs that are good, griefs, infectious and contagious griefs that are good, where we, the things we do, the things we serve, when we point to Jesus, we point others to Jesus, we kind of infect the gospel in their lives, and we transmit what is good and what is helpful and what is gracious to those who we encounter. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the message that you have empowered us to share today and to witness. Thank you for your love for Peter and your love for us, Lord, to realize that you are that steadfast Savior who rescues us whenever we walk and drown in water, even when it's for your name, Lord. May we be reminded that we do worship, we do life, we do everything that is for you and you alone. That even when we have that doubt, to do things for ourselves, that we, have, we can trust that you will drag us out of the deep waters and to walk solely for your name's sake. We thank you, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen.